HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned, attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. And when I am not hosting In the Drink on Heritage Radio Network, you can find me at one of our restaurants where uh, I act as the beverage director. And our restaurants are Delanima, Lartuzzi, La Picho, and Anfora. And uh, just through the end of... Uh, of the nice weather, I guess, will be at Alta Linea at the Highline Hotel on uh, 20th Street and 10th Avenue. I hope to see you there. Um, also, if you are a fan of In the Drink, please do subscribe to, uh, to our iTunes, uh, or you can always find previous episodes of In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. And uh, thanks so much for listening. All right, so I am excited today. We have a, uh, an expert in all things whiskey um, today. Um, his name is Mr. Fred Minnick. He uh, has written for a ton of publications, including Whiskey Magazine, Whiskey Advocate, uh, and a ton of freelance. He's also a, uh, a photographer um, and is a judge for the San Francisco World Spirits Competition and the World Whiskey Awards. Uh, he is the man if we have any questions about whiskey at all. Welcome to Heritage Radio. Good to have you in the studio. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. And uh, congratulations, Fred. You've just written a, a new book called Bourbon Curious, A Simple Tasting Guide for the Savvy Drinker. Um, it is absolutely beautiful. I'm holding on to it right now. Um, it's just, just this great, uh, almost like a little bit more than a handbook, but not uh, not an extensive volume, just kind of a, an easy way to, to learn um, all you need to know about whiskey, about bourbon. Yeah, and, and that's it, it's presented exactly how I wanted it to be. In that, you know, bourbon's growing at the greatest rate since after prohibition, and you have all these people who want to get into it. But if you Google bourbon, you're going to get, you know, 15 different definitions. You're going to get a lot of misinformation out there, and so I wanted to present something that 
is truly a simple tasting guide, uh, but geek out with it too. So I've got all kinds of geeky information in there. If you are a bourbon nerd like myself, um, I tell you the mash bills and real geeky barrel entry proof stuff. But I, if you're a beginner, I tell you why those things are important. Okay. And now going back to something you, you just said, you said there's a lot of misinformation about bourbon out there. What are, what are some of the main themes of misinformation that, you know, how long's our show? How long's the show? <laughs> Let, let's try to keep it to like three, three, three things. big things okay. that, that you'd like to dispel. So the number one is that bourbon must be made in Kentucky. That is not true. Uh, the 1964 Congressional Declaration simply said that bourbon must is a distinct product of the United States, essentially making it the de facto America spirit. Now, the language did not say America spirit. You, that gets, you know, in the interwebs, mm-hmm. that gets take takes on a whole new life. But uh, uh, so it can be made in New York. It is made in New York. It can be made in Wyoming, Indiana. All over the country. Alaska, or is it continental United States? Uh, no, it's United States. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, arguably, you know, you know, in Alaska, they actually make a lot of moonshine. So, uh, I don't. I would love to see them try and make a bourbon. That would be kind of cool. Uh, to my knowledge, no one's doing that right now. But they do a lot of distilling in Alaska, just mostly illegal stuff. So the number two. Um, the number two misnomer about bourbon is that it has to be two years old. If it says bourbon on the label, there is no age requirement. Now, there are some other laws that go with it. If it's under four years old, they have to state the age. Uh, not everyone does that. That's called compliance with the federal regulations, and that leads to lawsuits and stuff. But um, the regulation for just bourbon, uh, it, there is no age requirement. If it says straight bourbon... It has to be at least two years old. So can it be completely unaged, or it has to at least touch yeah. oak at some point? Bourbon has to touch new charred oak. So as Jimmy Russell says, you can take uh, you can take a bu- a charred bucket, go to the still, put it in the bucket, and then walk it over to the to the bottling line. But uh, no one's doing that yet. You do have some young some young uh, bourbons out there, um, but. Uh, they don't have to, you know, there's not a, an age requirement to be, to be called bourbon. All right. So it can be made anywhere in the U S mm-hmm. uh, it, there's no age requirement, mm-hmm. but it has to at least some, at some point touch heavily charred new American oak. Is that That's correct? right. White, white oak, I believe. Uh, white oak is not the law. It's not the law. No, but that happens to be the practice. So, you know, there's a difference between what is the regulation and what is the practice. And, um, you know, white oak is predominantly used. Uh, another one, and this is this is a personal kind of like thing for me. You won't this, you may not actually see it out there uh, as much as being you know misinformation. But flavor cannot be added to bourbon at any time. So like, you can't add flavoring, you can't add coloring. The only thing that can go into bourbon is just water, and you know they'll cut it down to like eighty proof or you know, 100 proof or whatever it is for the particular brand's, uh, you know, bottling requirements. But the reason why that's really muddied right now is that this uh, growth of flavored whiskeys, which flavored whiskeys are like the anti-bourbon, you know, because they are injected with, uh, you know, chemical makeups in a lab, and they 
they mix with uh, bourbon. And, and in my opinion, if you want your bourbon flavored, have a bartender make you a cocktail. And so you have these brands that have uh, created flavored whiskeys. That market is actually going through the roof. I mean, people continue buying it. But in my wow. opinion, it is bad for the bourbon business because um, there could be an association, like a brand identifying association. Right. And I don't think consumers will make the leap of like, okay, I had Jim Beam honey today. Bad experience. Uh, I'm not going to touch Jim Beam anymore. Even though it wasn't Jim Beam bourbon, it was the Jim Beam honey. So, you know, that, that style of product is really geared a lot more for, in my opinion, the frat boy parties, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so it's not my style. Yeah. I can think of the, uh, there's a make makers, not makers. Um, who does it? Who does the maple? I guess a couple of them do maple these days too. Uh, yeah. maple's a, a very trendy product. Knob Creek does maple. Knob Creek is what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah. actually Jim Beam does maple too. Yeah. So maple's very, very trendy. Honey, maple, uh, you'll see cinnamon. These are all things that are you know easy to add in a cocktail, and you could use good quality ingredients and good bourbon. Right. Well, yeah. you know, just across the board in the alcohol business, you have, uh, you have the premium side of things where the consumer base is educated and they want to learn more, and then you have the uh, taking your shirt off at a lake and going crazy and you have the mocktails or the cocktails from Budweiser to come out of, or you know the the canned ready, the ready to drink mm-hmm. beers, and and so like when it comes to marketing products to to consumers, there are so many different people to reach, and they all have to be of of a certain age. So you have, you know, they're trying to market to people who want to party, and they're trying to market to people who want to sip while they're watching tv or having a good time at dinner so there's there's products for everyone and i'm not opposed to flavored whiskey per se just don't put bourbon on there because and don't put a bourbon uh brand Brand. on there because it muddies the water for the future and and it's i think that it will hurt it as a as like a brand extension that goes bad um I, I'm with you. It seems like a total abomination to me. I have, I have no interest. You won't see any of those at our restaurants. I promise you. I well. promise you that. Now, but it seems like these days there could be nothing to sully the interest in 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 bourbon. Um, from everything I can tell, uh, bourbon is becoming more and more popular. Um, interest in high end bourbon is increasing. Um, right. And and it seems like it's it's just going in one direction. And uh, I've even heard reports that there there have been uh, shortages um, and this increased demand, and distillers are having a hard time kind of keeping up with with aging it appropriately. Yeah, I actually I've written quite a bit about the shortages, um, and you know these brands are constantly strapped with demand. Like let's take Maker's Mark for example, they're on allocation everywhere. Uh, which allocation basically means that they're only giving a certain amount of whiskey to the you know a region, uh, and then you have other brands that have literally a case to split up in a small district like Minneapolis. Uh, and the reason why this is happening, I mean, they're making more bourbon, they're laying more bourbon down, but it takes you know between five and twelve years to reach that 
taste profile that they want that people have fallen in love with. And so the the bourbon demand today is really being led by a lot largely the millennials. Uh, people um, are tasting bourbon for the first time, falling in love with it, and they're hooked, just like their parents became in love with uh, vodka in the 1960s. And you know, when a guy said he wanted a martini shaken and not stirred, that completely changed the the bar scene. And the companies of that time they own. You know, they own bourbon brands, but they saw the sagging sales, and so they started divesting in, in bourbon in the 1960s and 1970s and started investing in in vodka. And so you had all these brands of vodka coming over here, whereas in 1952, vodka represented a total of 1% of the total spirit sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, vodka goes through the roof in the 1990s, Sex in the City, you know, makes Cosmopolitans popular. Uh, you know, the the generation of, you know, the offspring of that generation are saying, yeah, I don't want vodka. I want to taste something. And bourbon is a great tasting profile. Like, you talk a lot about it on your show. It's about flavor. You know, it's about, you know, local and kind of uh, feeling something on your tongue that you can't get uh, anywhere else. And bourbon has that consistent flavor profile that you're not going to get with vodka. Vodka is odorless and tasteless. There are some good vodkas being made. Don't get me wrong. But uh, as a general rule, they are they are designed to take on their additives. So if it's vodka and cranberry, you taste mostly cranberry. Right. And that's one of the things that I like about bourbon is that it does have that individual and distinct taste um, without the any any added colors or flavors and it. it feels like more of a genuine product but in terms of bourbon makers um, who I mean what 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 producers are kind of on the more artisanal scale more what we you know the the, the kind of wineries that we get excited about here um, the people who are really ma- kind of making it by hand okay uh, well when it comes to like that term, like making it by hand, all the distilleries are, you know, in order to make distilled product, you have to have the assistance of machine. Uh, there's no way around it. I mean, this is not, uh, you know, it's distillation is a man-made, you know, machine, if you will. It's a with for, yeah, you need with, a still. You, you need to. You need something. It was there. built so, by yeah. So, like, the whole handcrafted thing, I, I, I hear that a lot. And basically, in, in whiskey, it's not the same as wine. And even wine, you could argue it's more about the grapes. But uh, I really think all of them do something special because they're – I'll talk about GMOs for a second. And I cover this widely in the book. Um, in the 1930s, after, you know, the, the big – droughts that we had and led a lot of fields to go uh, dry and we couldn't grow a lot of crops. The researchers and agriculturalists designed a hybrid corn. This was kind of the first step in this. And the distilleries were one of the only people who, you know, argued against hybrid corn because they thought uh, that a naturally occurring corn you know, that the farmers would keep the seeds from, from past uh, harvest, that that was the best way to produce corn. Now, if, if your goal is quality, 
that's true. But if your goal is to feed the world, you want something that can survive another drought. So by the 1960s, hybrid corn has kind of taken over. It's more drought resistant. Uh, that the scientists continue doing things, and as we know now, we have genetically modified organisms uh, in the cornfields, and so that's because so they can withstand you know heavy heavy doses of herbicides and pesticides. And the reasoning behind that is to feed the world. Once again, the distillery community is the community that has you know one of the loudest voices against this because they want non-GMO corn. Uh, so in my book, I tell you who's using non-GMO and who's using GMO, and I break down like that whole story of like how they got there. But all of these Kentucky distilleries are acquiring grains from Kentucky, from uh, from Indiana. In fact, Maker's Mark acquires its uh, corn and its wheat from like the same county. So they've been keeping, and wheat is not a profitable crop in Kentucky. So for a farmer to to grow wheat in the state of Kentucky, or excuse me, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, they're basically growing wheat for the bourbon community. And wheat is not the most commonly used secondary grain. Rye is. Rye, unfortunately, does not grow well in Kentucky. It needs colder climates, right? It needs needs colder climates. um, And and where we have colder climates in this country you have brands or you have farmers saying i can make more money planting soybeans or corn mm-hmm. and so they And that's there. largely due to subsidies uh, i imagine right you know what it, it's a little bit of that but you know in terms of the harvest yield the value that mm-hmm. they can get it's you know more money in their pocket and you have uh, a, a lot of these farmers are kind of ex, you know brand extensions of their seed companies um, and so in some ways they get they get you know financial influence, but if you're if you're a guy you're sitting on three thousand acres and you look at this little tiny you know market of whiskey that can pay you one dollar per bushel that this is not an actual number, but if you can pay you one dollar per bushel on on rye or you can plant uh pioneers you know corn seeds and get $20 per bushel of corn because you've got a high fructose market, you've got the ethanol market, you've got all these avenues uh, for, for, for your corn. Whereas with rye, you have whiskey and you know, a very small set of mm-hmm. rye bread mm-hmm. makers. And so from a business perspective, are you going to go with the one that's going to get you $20 per bushel or are you going to go with the $1 per bushel? And that's essentially... By the way, again, those that math and that's not how it would go. But we won't hold you to it, Trey. But, uh, but your argument makes sense, yeah. though. That, I mean, there's no financial incentive for for the farmers to be growing the stuff that this industry is demanding because even with their pull, it's nothing compared to yeah, exactly. And so, where where are distilleries getting their rye? Europe. They're getting it from Canada. Uh, there is a small amount being produced in uh, Montana and the Dakota areas. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of dwindling too, and of of the of that area of those areas, you know, Buffalo Trace is trying to kind of like maintain the the purchasing of all that. 
I love that. I actually had no idea that there was that the the whiskey industry was even in any way uh, uh, arguing for or against GMOs, and this whole uh, this whole argument is fantastic. And uh, I'll definitely look forward to to reading in your book. On that note, however, we're going to have to take a quick break. Um, we'll be back with more of the whiskey expert Fred Minnick uh, on in the drink. Cheers. Cheers. Victor's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small, from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's Cosby Dam Taste is Everything Attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. All right, we're back on In the Drink um, here with Fred Minnick and his new book, Bourbon Curious, A Simple Tasting Guide for the Savvy Drinker. It is just such a great book. Um, not only is it a great handbook as to uh, all of the brands of uh, bourbon that are out there, but it gives you some great history, production, and some interesting uh controversies that are going on. It's one of the things that I really like about Fred is that not only is he a, uh, a fan for the uh, bourbon industry, but is also can be critical of it at times when he doesn't uh, agree with something. So not just a, a shill for it. Uh, you, yeah. You, you, I, go, I, go. I, I would, and I would tell you there, there are people, you know, who don't like that book and uh, it's because I am critical and I am, um, I used basically a career's worth of notes and sources and stuff to publish people's recipes, their barrel entry proofs. Like your your commercial was just talking about Michter's barrel entry proof. I was I was really excited to get that, and now uh, you know because it's 103. Michter's has the lowest barrel entry proof in the business. After that, it's uh, Maker's Mark and Weller. And um, but to me, that's like geeky knowledge stuff that. Um, that is should be should be important about what bourbon is and a lot of people you know bourbon is very much about keeping it secrets i don't understand why transparency is not something 
that all of the brands are comfortable with. Like, they still don't disclose their mash bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been able to procure them, uh, but I don't understand why. Because even if everybody had the same mash bill, the whiskey would taste different. Because the stills hum differently, they would age differently, it would come off the still at different proofs. So there's, there's a lot of variables in there. And it's just, I'm, I'm about giving consumers something that they can go home and take notes about. Yeah. Because if, it's ju- if it just is a bottle, then, you know, how do, we, how do we take notes and differ from other bottles? Yeah. How does the curious or informed consumer get more out of it? Yeah. Other than, oh, that's tasty. You yeah, want, I mean, we want to know a little bit more. This so. isn't the 1950s anymore. I mean, despite myself wearing an ascot, I'm very much about having... Uh, you didn't you know, have to, t- to let everyone know this is radio. I wasn't <laughs> going to say anything. I'm very proud of wearing <laughs> ascots. Uh, I'm trying to bring it back. So if you happen to you know, have a neck that needs a tie, I would recommend a neck ascot. Anyway, all right. So I've, I've had my shilling. I will shill for ascots. Okay. <laughs> Fred Minnick, I will shill for ascots. <laughs> um, so, you know, in the 1950s, no one cared about this stuff. And largely, the companies, you know, they're still doing every, a lot of things the same way as the 1950s. Um, and, and that's great. And those were the days when chefs wouldn't disclose their recipes either, right? They, they, it was before... Um, all these food publications and, yeah. and sharing, and now it's like it's it seems like a great honor for someone to ask for yeah. a recipe. Like, yes, absolutely, we will give we'll give our recipe for that. And people, you know, and I have this conversation all the time with people in the trade. They're like, you know, there was a time that companies used to be able to have secrets, and and you know what, I, my counter to that, yes, and there was a time where you could go out and be a drunk ass and it not show up on Instagram and Facebook the next day. Those days are over. Yeah. Unless we have a drastic change with how our society operates, we want to know everything about everything. Like, even a table. If I want to go to buy a table, I'm looking for the label. I want to know where it's made. And I know language if it says assembled in America. I want to know where the wood came from. If it came from Peru, was it... Was it from a rainforest? I mean, I want to know these things because I want to make informed decisions as a consumer. And that's really all I'm trying to do with bourbon. Yes. And you're trying to help people to taste and enjoy the bourbon. Um, and w- with that, I'd like to go into tasting this uh, this bourbon that you brought for us. Oh, so. yeah. So I brought I brought a bottle of uh, Maker's Mark cash strength. Uh, Maker's Mark was is kind of famous for doing one thing for you know since its founding in the 19 late 1950s and then they had the they lowered their proof and they had this uh they they lowered the proof from uh 90 to uh 84 and it was like a national revolt happened i mean there was practically protesting in the streets people went nuts because they're like they wanted to keep it at that flavor profile now, Maker's Mark switched back to the original, the original uh, proof, and they ended up making fun of themselves a little bit, and you know they were never hurt. Uh, but one of the things that you know they did after that was shortly, I'd say about a year, they came out with. Uh, this came out last year. This came out 20, 2014 or twenty thirteen. My memory's off, but I drink a lot of bourbon. <laughs> But I will say that this came out, and this was probably one of the hottest, most exciting 
new releases mm. of of a bourbon in a long time because they had been you know cutting it down to 90 proof forever and everybody has always said like if maker's mark would come out with a cash drink it would just it would go gangbusters they did and it has uh and this is this is a a weeded bourbon so it's 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 the it's got a different profile i put it in my caramel forward section of the book and it has a completely different flavor profile at cast drink it's un it's uncut it's unfiltered and it's delicious i'm just going to take you through like how yeah there, there's so much i want to ask you about this um but uh the, the, when you say cask strength, mm-hmm. is it actually the strength from the the individual cask, or are they still blending it down with water and no, no. just making it stronger? And no, they will do things like uh, filter out the uh, barrel chunks, you know, so you don't get a you know quarter inch piece of wood lodged in well, your that's throat. Nice of them, yeah. But uh, no, it's actually cask strength, okay. and that and that so would that would be, mean that that uh, each cask should be presumably slightly different right it won't be exactly the same yeah that's right and so they they put together uh this is a batch product so it's not a single barrel so they will they will they will batch uh several 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 together um i don't know what their target barrel count is on this but i imagine it's in the 20 20 range there they have very uh maker's mark has very low like amounts of barrels that go into their even their regular batches so they're they're like a small a truly small batch like small technique um and so yes every one of them will be different but in terms of the barrels you know maker's marks going in the barrel at a at a low proof to begin with so they're at 110 and so it will raise it will raise up um depending on the warehouse it will increase in uh in proof Mm -hmm. sometimes it will go down sometimes it'll stay the same there's actually University of Kentucky is actually studying this right now to find out what the actual physics behind all this is. It's in the chemistry. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, so I mean, I've always liked Maker's Mark, but this. Thank you for bringing this because I love this. this. Is like truly a complex, interesting, delicious uh, whiskey. And I would like for you to. I have one more question before you go through how you normally go about tasting it. So I generally I end up like, drinking the whole bottle here. So and that's it's, it's a half bottle. So it, that's that wouldn't be uh, that wouldn't that's be too a, bad. That's a Wednesday. Yeah, it's Wednesday before eleven. So I tend to like putting a little bit of water in my uh, in my whiskey. Um, this actually doesn't need it. I, I can. I think it's really smooth considering the strength. How? What is the difference between? them putting the water in at the distillery and bringing it down to about 90 proof or me putting maybe i don't know if it would be about approximately equal amount of water having it in my glass at home would that in some way act differently uh that's a great question uh in terms of like how it would act you could not you cannot do it at like the um the sophisticated proofing level that they do it like when they when they cut it you know they have actual tanks that they cut and proof that tell you exactly when they hit a certain mark you know when you're doing it you're going to be kind of winging it so like um but you know proofs are are fascinating study of bourbon because there was a time that everything was 100 proof like that was that was the bastion of quality and proof and that was shortly after the bottle and bond act of 1897 coming out of prohibition they were they tried to stay in that 100 proof range and then 90 proof became sexy. And then 94 proof. 
And then National Distillers came out with 86 proof. And then Wild Turkey had 86.8 proof. And then someone came out with 80 proof. And so, uh, you know, and then after around, you know, in the 1980s, I think the experimentation of proofs kind of went away and everyone was just kind of stuck in there and like how they discussed their, uh, they were just kind of stuck on their label. They just stayed in that proof range. And then in this contemporary love for bourbon, cast strength has gone nuts. Yeah. Like, uh, and there's so many brands now that you can buy that are a single barrel, barrel proof that's between 125 and 140 proof. And some people will just eat that up by itself without, without water or ice. But if you try to check that into an airplane... The TSA will, will uh, it'll it'll get flagged because it's you know it, it's at at a certain proof it's considered hazardous material so it they uh, you can't I mean that, that's really interesting and good to know okay so take us through tasting this and uh, one of the more interesting uh, things about your book I find is this this way that you present tasting bourbon that I've never seen uh, before. Um, or at least describing it in terms of grain-forward bourbons, nutmeg-forward, caramel-forward, and cinnamon-forward bourbons. And they're sort of thought of them in those categories. Right. Well, if you take a look into how wine has progressed from a tasting perspective, you have uh, sommeliers breaking down regions based on their predominant flavor profiles, and they will pair it with you. And this is kind of uh, you know taking a little bit of that discipline and applying it to, to bourbon. In that every bourbon has its, it has a dominant flavor profile. It has a has a dominant sense on the nose, uh, and those to me are the four core, like flavor profiles. Grain forward tend to be the younger bourbons. Caramel forward. Every every bottle of bourbon should have a note of caramel in it, but there are some that it's really pronounced, and those typically uh, are some of the older products, or it will be something that you know a weeded bourbon. Like I put. I put Maker's Mark in, in the in the uh, caramel forward, and this one really is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, nutmeg forward is a is a is a traditional style typically, so it's like the mash bill is of equal parts rye and barley, and those will usually be between you know six and twelve years old. But when you taste it, it's kind of like the holidays, you know. So nutmeg is a lot of people will say pumpkin spice latte or something like that. Or you know an apple pie with uh, with mama's you know special dust on there, and that's often uh, a nutmeg note. Uh, the cinnamon forward to me, cinnamon is so pronounced in some brands like Four Roses. You know mm-hmm. you, that always has a bright, beautiful cinnamon note, uh, and uh, those typically are higher in rye for the mash bill. So it pronounces itself in spice. So I wanted to give someone, like, if you are a big fan of nutmeg, you know, that's the chapter you want to go straight to. I'm like, okay, do they have these in my liquor store? If you like raw corn, some people do. If you like tasting raw co- corn or corn on the cob, you know, the grain-forward bourbons are right where you want to go to in the liquor store. And uh, in doing professional tastings with with consumers at the Kentucky Derby Museum, I get people who come up all the time and say, I don't like bourbon. But when I actually talk to them, they didn't like uh, a certain brand of bourbon. And when I would get to talk to them, I realized that 
it's just a style of bourbon you didn't like. I would taste them on something like Larceny, and they would fall in love with it. Uh, they would say, like, I didn't like uh, Wild Turkey 101. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and, I, and when I would get to talking to them, I was like, oh, you have a palate that you really want, like a creamy caramel style of bourbon. Uh, and that was kind of how this that mindset came to be. It was like giving giving everybody like a, a flavor profile that would fit for them. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I love that. And it's, it's just teaching people a little bit of the vocabulary that would help them help themselves to find better stuff. It's, yeah. It's what I uh, always try to say with, with wine as well. If people can just say if they want a light, full or medium bodied wine, that's fruit forward mm-hmm. or earthy. Uh, yeah. They and the color red, white, you know, rosé or or orange. Uh, you you can you can find stuff that you like, but just even getting to that that basic yeah. level would would really help people. And I think with with bourbon, those those basics starting there, um, and then knowing the maybe maybe the proof level as well that you like to drink at, yeah, could also be helpful. You know, staying in wine, one of a, a great lesson I learned a long time ago uh, was I was having dinner with some friends. And uh, the the woman said she loved Rieslings. I was very excited because I was going to get her like something from uh, Germany or from Alsace, you know, some, you know, have a little petrol in it. Like I was like, to me, that's like, I love that kind of note. And she's like, oh my God, what is this? This tastes awful. I was like, it's Riesling. It's a German Riesling. Come to find out she like, like, you know like Ohio sweet Rieslings and uh, it's a completely different. I was like, well, I would have got you a Moscato then, you know, if you like that. But, you know, so, you know, that was, you know, that kind of, that experience kind of, uh, my time in wine really helped me, you know, break things down for, for bourbon because it's really not been done before. And, and the brands, you know, they have very minimal real estate on their bottle to to tell Mm -hmm. you something. And when they do, they have to put, you know the half of it's the government warning on the bottle like so and that's just that's law and the rest of it is like you know they've got to stand out on a liquor store shelf so you know they put the marketing that's important to them on there yeah well fred just fantastic job with bourbon curious i love this book and uh thank you so much for for coming on in the drink it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show cheers man cheers Th- thanks for bringing this uh maker's mark by the way you bet uh i also want to thank uh our our engineer jack insley welcome back for uh this show and producer jory morales jory uh, and thanks to all of you for listening this has been in the drink on heritageradionetwork.org Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.